G'day and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest. My name is Conrad and you may already know the devastating news that my best friend and podcast co-host Cam Ferry died. Uh, so I, I want to thank everybody for their support. I still have a fair few episodes I recorded with Cam that I haven't released yet. I, I'm honored to be able to share with you more of the great conversations that Cam and I had. Enjoy these episodes in memory of my best mate, Cam. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people. Categorizing of humans and ideas. You have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas. These things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to Ideas Digest, the podcast where we break down the invisible lines that divide us called ideas. And we do that in order to find and connect with the humanity of the person who holds those ideas. Yeah. My name's Conrad. I'm Cam. Now, Cam, this podcast, as we you know, say pretty regularly, yeah. it's not for we everybody. We have to remind people. That's of this, right. <laughs> it's not for everybody. Yeah. At first. Yes. At first, it's very uncomfortable to listen yes. to an idea you disagree with. Yeah. Uh, but the feedback we've been getting quite consistently yeah. is that initially people were saying, "Listen, I didn't really like the podcast. I listened yeah. to it, didn't wasn't really keen on it." Yeah. But now it's my go-to. Yeah. It's like grown on them. <laughs> that's like, and you're like, Conrad, did you just make that up to make your podcast sound better? <laughs> no, I did not. Yeah. This is an actual anecdote that go, has happened go to and, me. Go and check our reviews because the that's, reviews We didn't write them ourselves. That's right. Not all of them ourselves anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it's official. We are a slow burn. Yeah, yeah. And if long-term relationships are anything to go by, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's right. So if you're someone who initially didn't love the show... Mm. But now find yourself listening to it more and more and more, yeah. you know, like us. You're yeah. addicted to the process of exploring new ideas. Yeah. Then it's on you to share the podcast. That's right. You're like, listen, it's a slow burn. Give these blokes two or three episodes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and uh, Don't be scared off by the titles. That's right. Don't be, be pulled in by the titles. Yeah. So today we chat to a new friend of the show yeah. named, now I hope we get the pronunciation. Maybe you go, Cam. Or I'd, I'd go with Keith Giles. Keith Giles, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> we're, get, <laughs> we're getting two thumbs two up. Two thumbs up. Yeah, so that's good. <laughs> Keith, thanks for coming on and joining us on, on Ideas Digest. Oh, thank you guys, man. I'm really excited about this. Thanks for having me on and um, I'm excited to have this conversation. From our brief, from the brief descriptor that I've found about Keith on his websites and books, yeah. Keith, and this is a direct quote, is a former pastor who left the pulpit 11 years ago to start a church that gives away 100% of the offering to the poor in the community. Mm. Uh, he's also a host of a podcast that I know you're familiar with, Cam, and yes. I'm familiar with, yes. called Heretics Happy Hour. Yes. Uh, Keith, can you give us just some very generic information about yourself? You know, like current work, educational background, yeah. which part of America you're living in, your hobbies, just like surface level stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, I live in El Paso, Texas. <clears throat> just recently moved back here. This is where I kind of grew up, went, graduated college, met my wife, Wendy, and then we moved to California and lived there 25 years. Uh, I am... Uh, 
was born in Brownsville, Tennessee. Um, my job, I guess, is sort of lately, well, for the last year and a half, it's been full-time author, writer, copywriter, um, sometimes podcaster, blogger, and um, I teach some online classes. Uh, I graduated from UT El Paso, um, yeah, like 20, no, golly, hold on, 31 years ago, just about, or so, 30-something mm-hmm. years ago. Um with a, a a bachelor's degree in English, with an emphasis on creative writing and a minor in philosophy. Oh, wow, okay. that's an interesting little okay. uh, combo you got there. That that's is, cool. isn't it? And any yeah. hobbies that you currently are doing, you know, yeah. apart from work. Well, uh, honestly, work is pretty much all I do. But I do enjoy. Uh, I watch <laughs> movies, so I guess that's sort of a hobby. I, I do watch a lot of movies. I'm a huge movie buff. Yeah. I've even considered starting a little movie podcast on the side. Uh, just to talk about movies, films, and mm-hmm. TV shows, things like that. Um, I love science fiction. I'm a huge, huge fan of Philip K. Dick science fiction novels, and um, I'm obsessed with the film Blade Runner. Blade Runner. I did just watch the new one, but I'll be honest, <laughs> went over my head. <laughs> oh, I'll need to listen to your new podcast that can explain it to me. <laughs> That'll help, I think. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. I reckon that's some good, some good good ground that we've sort of been able to you know build a few assumptions that's on. right we've yeah. got some generic info yeah now i'll give everybody the clickbait they've probably seen it in the title and i'm going to phrase it a little bit differently today cameron okay yeah. so we're going to need a little role play happening. okay All so right. i this is this is how clickbait works in the real world real life situation yeah right so cam you and i are catching up as we as we regularly do and i'm yeah. like oh hey cam i met this guy named keith all oh, right, and oh, then here Keith. are your lines here. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, Keith Giles. Yeah, I heard he says that the gospel isn't about going to heaven uh, when you die. Oh, really? Yeah. And now, normally, at this point, we would continue, you know, gossiping and and, yeah, yeah. and making assumptions. Yeah. But we've got Keith here. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to continue to make some assumptions about Keith. Yeah. But he in has in front of him. In front of him, <laughs> and so we're going to be gracious enough to let him play along <laughs> and say either yes or no, as we make some assumptions about who he is and maybe what yeah. he thinks and believes. So, Keith, for you, it's a simple yes or no. We try and avoid nuance in this yeah. section. We've got two boxes. Well, we've yeah. got plenty of time for nuance later, but the two boxes now are yes and no. Okay, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, he's in. He's in. All right. Okay, so now this was a curveball. He was in California, moved back to Texas. Okay. You know, as Australians, we have a few stereotypes and we're going to get off my chest here. So, Keith, you're in Texas. How many guns do you own and how many do you carry on your hip? Um, I own one gun and I carry none. Right. Oh, okay. right. Okay. Can you put that gun on your hip? <laughs> <laughs> Right now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just in general. No, no, no. Don't worry about that. It could be. Uh, All it's, right. It's Question a pistol. Two. Yes. It could, be, it could be carried in okay. a holster if I had one. No, I think I do have one. Yeah, so I could. Yeah, right. And yeah. in Texas, now I'm testing my assumptions. Are you allowed to do that if you just feel and yeah, like yeah. it goes with the yeah, outfit? Right to, right to carry in Texas? I don't know if it's an open carry state. I really don't know. To be honest, I'm trying to get rid of it. So I'm trying to... So Craigslist, anyone looking for a <laughs> yeah. anyone anyone looking for a gun? Uh, Craigslist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. right, Texas. 
where I mean, as an, as an Aussie, as an Australian, yeah. like we hear Texas and we think ranches, we think cowboys, Indians, like horse riding. Do you ride a horse? No, no. People here drive cars, <laughs> just like everywhere else. Oh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> big cars, I hear. Though. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. big cars. Uh, okay, Th- this is. This is a bit of a leftover from when I, I was reading something and it said you were in California, mm. but obviously you're in Texas now. So do you surf? Nope. I never surfed even when I lived in California. Okay. I love the beach. All right. Okay. Not no, a right. surfer. Yeah. Well, then you're welcome in Australia. <laughs> yeah. All right. So next one. Next one is um, you're either a, a West Coast elitist liberal mm. or... A redneck, like one of the two. One of the two. Which pick a box? <laughs> wow. Well, people <laughs> more likely to call me a West Coast liberal than they would to call me a redneck. I think. Back to googling around, and I like having people on like Keith who uh, have a bit of a presence online. It's yes, nice to yeah. see what people say. Yeah. And this one was thrown around a little bit. Keith, you're a false teacher. It depends on your perspective. Yeah, some people would definitely say, yes, I'm a false teacher, as far as their perspective goes. Would you say you're a false teacher? No. No. Yeah, right. All right. Yeah. He doesn't, doesn't agree with yeah. that one. All right. So would you say that you're a lost soul? I'm assuming not, but would you say you're a lost soul? Because there's plenty of people out there who are saying that you are a lost soul. So what, what do you, where, where do your thoughts come down on that one? No, no, I, I don't believe I'm a lost soul. Yeah. Okay. okay. Right, that's a no on that one. Right. Lucky he's here to refute these assumptions. Yeah, we right. wouldn't have got very far. <laughs> we're gonna get into. We're gonna. We're gonna get deeper as we go, right? Oh, that's absolutely. right. That's right. It's yeah, always yeah. funny towards the end. People are going, "Man, I don't know what I signed up for." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Last question, and then we get all the nuance we want. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are you reading what you want into the Bible? You're not reading the Bible properly, so to speak, in quotation marks. Are you reading what you want into the Bible? No, I am not. No. Okay, a lot of no's there. A lot of no's. Got an early win with the the gun question. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think that's the first person we've spoken to that's owned a gun. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. The first American were like, Americans, guns. That's 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 one of the two. Uh, He's trying to sell it. (laughs) He's trying to get rid of it. Uh, So the reason we start here, for anyone tuning in for the first time, this is what we naturally do. We meet somebody, we hear some kind of clickbait, and we start making a whole bunch of assumptions. Now, normally you know, we wouldn't have the person there to verify these assumptions. Yeah. And we would go off into our little echo chambers and continue believing our wild and loose assumptions. Yeah, It's okay. Possibly even spreading them. That's right. Yeah. We lean into it on this show. We yeah. take one extra step to see if they're true or not. We yeah. found out that most, almost 90% yeah. not true. Yeah. So yeah. Keith, over to you. This is your chance. This is your chance. <laughs> your clickbait starting this is... The gospel isn't about going to heaven when you die. Where do you want to begin? Yeah. We can let you start wherever take, you like. Take as much time as you want. You can go much through nuance. any of those assumptions and sort of clarify some things if you want to. Just sure. yeah, go nuts. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, <clears throat> I mean, that was that whole thing that the gospel is not about saying a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die was a huge epiphany in my life uh, probably about 13 or so years ago. 
I mean, I was already a licensed and ordained pastor, had been serving at churches, uh, helped to plant a church in, in California with some friends of ours, and was serving um, as a children's pastor of that church and doing ministry to the poor uh, as well in the community. Um, and so well, anyway, doing, doing all of that. And um, then I just, I, I realized uh, that I, I had the gospel, I misunderstood the gospel. And uh, it, a friend of mine, basically, we were having a conversation and, and he just told me, he made the statement, you know, the gospel is not about saying a prayer so that you can go to heaven when you die. And it just kind of blew my mind. And I'm like, what do you mean? Um, well, I, actually, I didn't say that. I, I played along like, oh, of course not. I know that. Um, but then I was like, well, but I'm thinking, what is he talking about? And uh, he goes, well, you know, Keith, if you read the Gospels, right, if you know, if you want to know what the Gospel is, you should probably turn to one of those four books in the New Testament. They're called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and then maybe listen to Jesus. Maybe Jesus is the one who would tell, define for us what is the Gospel. Well, Jesus in the Gospels, right? Uh, if you flip to one of those four books, you'll see Jesus proclaiming the good news. That's what gospel means. The good news or the gospel of the kingdom. And the way Jesus communicates the gospel is not pray, pray this. No, he, this is how Jesus does not pre preach the gospel he, like we do. He doesn't say, all right, everybody, if you don't want to burn in hell forever, please raise your hand. I see that hand. Good. Thank you. All right. Now, thank you. I see that. Hand. Um, now. Pray this prayer after me, repeat after me, blah, 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 amen, ding, you're going to heaven when you die. Nope. That is not the way yeah, Jesus communicates yeah. the gospel in the gospels. Jesus says he okay. proclaims the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, which is this. Repent, he uses the word in the Greek metanoia, which does not mean feel sorry for your sins. Metanoia is the Greek yeah. word for change your mind, think differently. Um, so mm -hmm. he, the, the, big, the big announcement is, uh, he's preaching the good news of the kingdom. And the first thing he says is think different, change the way you think the kingdom of God is here. Yeah. Now the kingdom of God is open. It's available. It's, it's close enough to touch the kingdom of God is within you. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And the way Jesus communicates how we enter the kingdom of God, how we live in the kingdom that he's just announced is available and wide open. And even within you is very simply this follow me. That's it. Follow me. That's his invitation to every one mm -hmm. of the disciples that he meets. He meets, sees them and he says, follow me. And they drop everything and they follow him. That's exactly what they do. Um, his first message is the Sermon on the Mount. Just to kind of back up to your journey to this epiphany that you had, what denomination were you in? And like you said, when you heard that phrase, well, the gospel is not about a, a prayer that you pray to go to heaven. Like you said, you were like, intellectually, it seems like, yeah, yeah, I know that. But yeah. something else deeper was like, well, do I know that? Like, yeah. talk to me about like your, who you were kind of before this epiphany. Like what Christian denomination were you in? And like, Did you grow up with that sort of worldview or did yeah. it come to you later on or yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I said, I, you know, I was, I kind of grew up in El Paso, Texas. I was attending um, uh, with my parents. We attended a Southern Baptist church. I eventually got licensed and ordained through that church uh, into the ministry and then started, you know, serving at different churches. And then we moved to California. I continued to serve in churches. But my, my background and upbringing was the Southern Baptist kind of uh, version of Christianity. 
And, um, and I was also part of a band, a Christian sort of band at the time, you know, in El Paso for like five years. And, and we were very evangelistic. So I was always taking the opportunity to preach what I thought was the gospel. And that's how I preached it. That's the way I communicated that. I mean, I told, basically told people what I just said. Do you want to burn in hell forever? You don't? Good. Raise, wow. your, you know, raise your hand. I see that. Great. Repeat this prayer. Blah, blah, blah. Amen. Ding. You're going to heaven. I mean, that, I thought that mm-hmm. was the gospel. Um, and was very active right. promoting and preaching, proclaiming that. Yeah, right. So it was the water that you swam in, like your entire community, your all your family, your entire existence up until that 13 years ago was, that was the worldview that you, you were in. Yes. And and when, when that paradigm shifted, um, it was probably the, it was the single most shocking, you know, spiritual paradigm in my life. I mean, it's, it just literally rearranged all the furniture in my mind and my heart. I had to sort of go back and rethink. Honestly, what I felt, my first emotion that I felt was what a waste because I had, I had basically spent, you know, pretty much when I was like nine years old, when I became a Christian, uh, by the way, that's how I came into the church was, oh, you don't want to burn in hell forever. Then walk the aisle, pray the prayer, you know, get dunked and, uh, you know, here's your mm. Bible and go to church and that's, that's it. So pretty much from like nine years old mm. until I was in probably my forties, um, even serving as a pastor. And then all of a sudden I, I had this realization like, oh my gosh, I've wasted a whole lot of time. <laughs> I thought I was doing this. Yeah, I thought yeah. I was you know, doing what I was supposed to be doing. And all of a sudden I realized, oh no, I only today figured it out, you know? So what was it about that moment then when yeah. like... Because it it sounds like something that people would openly agree with. Oh, yeah, of course, it's not just about that. No. What was it about your friend saying that, that at, at 40 years old, that stuck, that maybe you couldn't pick up before that? Yeah, and was he of, of, of a similar belief? Like, was he Southern Baptist as well? Like, was, like, talk to us about his walk as well, if you can. No, no, that's probably part of it. I mean... Well, I guess part of it is just, um, yeah, that wasn't his background. So the guy I was talking to, his name is Todd Hunter. And at the time he, he had just, um, he had been part of like the vineyard church movement. We, and we were part of, by that time we had started, we had kind of a part of the vineyard church as well. And, um, he was like a, a national director of churches for them overseeing their global, you know, church planting, blah, blah, blah. I was interviewing him for a relevant magazine for an article. Um, and we were all talking on the phone and he said that, um, but you know, what was, what was fascinating was as he started to unpack it and explain it, I knew enough of the Bible. I knew enough of scripture that all the pieces made sense. Like everything he was saying, I'm like, well, yeah, no, he's right. Does Jesus does say that? Oh yeah. Wait, you're right. Jesus does do this. Like it just sort of connected all the dice. So in other words, it's not like I didn't know the information he was Mm. giving me. I had all that information in my head, but no Mm. one had connected the dots like that in that way. And it really, I think all he did was sort of shine a light on the reality and connected the dots that were already there. And then, and then I was just left going, how did I not see this? Like, how did I miss this? But but obviously I missed it because no one ever did. No one ever told me that no one ever, you know, that wasn't, uh, I think it's part of it is that too. Like that's not the way I was invited into this club. The way I was invited into the club Mm. was as a young boy, you know, pray this prayer, you're in. 
Um, yeah. I thought it was all about yeah. escaping hell and entering heaven. Now, again, when I say the gospel is not mm. about saying a prayer to go to heaven when you die, I'm not saying don't uh, die and go to heaven. I'm saying that that's not the point. That's not the emphasis. It's not, that's not the, the end of it, right? right. Um, so one of the ways, um, so my friend Todd, who is the guy that kind of blew my mind, but uh, he, he was at the time also very close with a guy named Dallas Willard, who I also got to interview a couple of times on my blog right. and um, for a couple of magazines as well. And so like the way that I think Dallas would communicate, the, the way he would slightly shift communicating the gospel, if I can, um, he would say it like this. So, so <laughs> I would normally, the, the gospel presentation was usually what I grew up with was something like, you know, again, um, if you died tonight, do you know you'd be in heaven tomorrow? Well, if you want to be sure, then pray this prayer, you know, blah, blah, blah. And now you're going to go to heaven. So the way Dallas sort of mm. shifted it to be more accurate to what Jesus actually says is to say, if you wake up tomorrow and you're not dead, and I think most of us won't be, then who mm. will you follow and how will you live your life? And Jesus' invitation is right. follow me. And that makes yeah, more sense because huh. that Jesus didn't ever ask anybody, if you died, would you be in heaven? No. He said, you're alive today, yeah. so follow me. All right. Yeah, that's right. the whole point. Follow it's a me, gospel. Yeah. It's, it's not a, see, the gospel I, that I used to believe was actually a gospel that didn't kick in until like a second after I was dead. After I, de I was dead, then that yeah. gospel suddenly became, you know, ding, now it works. But the gospel, the way Jesus mm. preaches it, is a gospel for my life right now. And that's makes that was also another right? Yeah. I think you're pretty much heading there uh, in that direction where we're ultimately going because this is an interesting conversation that kind of has started at the very point Cam and I often try and end up at. Yeah. We're very fascinated with the ideas that shift and lead to everything else. Yeah. And talking to Keith just back and forth on the email, uh, we like to use the idea, what's your gateway drug idea that yeah. kind of shifted everything? And Keith knew straight away. Some people, we, we try and dig and find yeah. it. But we've, we've got to really work <laughs> to get it out. Keith, Keith's gone, <laughs> gone straight there. And, yeah. and that's what... I find really uh, interesting and fascinating. Uh, just the what you were surrounded by, like you were said, up until 40, you weren't presented with like this idea. Was the Southern Baptist arena you were in, was it quite like an exclusive kind of club that didn't have much exposure to alternative like Protestant ideas or alternative yeah. Christian ideas or yeah. things like that? Was it quite isolated and that's why you just never came across it? Yeah, I think uh, my experience with the Southern Baptist, uh, growing up Southern Baptist, and many friends of mine who are, or even just people I've met through the podcast and, and other things, uh, who also are Southern Baptist, uh, that's kind of like keep kind of hearing and picking up, like kind of if you're Southern Baptist in America, maybe it's not this way anywhere else, but uh, Southern Baptists largely in America are very, but I, but a lot of a lot of denominations are like this, where you really only. You're very, you know, insular, right? So you only listen to other mm. Southern Baptists. You only, you know what I mean? You and, and you're kind of taught and conditioned. Don't listen to him. He's a charismatic. Don't listen to her. She's a Pentecostal. Don't listen to them. They're Lutherans. These people are Methodist. Well, I don't know. They're weird. Is that a fear-based, like, oh, don't listen to them because you'll be led astray? Is that the subtext? And then that kind of keeps people within the fold, so to speak? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's a whole lot of, I mean... Christianity in America in general is very fear-based. And so 
uh, it's fear-based in we don't want you to leave and go to the church down the street. So we'll come up with reasons why you should stay here and don't go there. And also reasons why you should stay in our denomination and don't listen to other denominations. So we keep you in our denomination and, and, you know, don't read that book. Don't watch that movie. Don't do this other thing. Uh, it's all fear-based because we just, it's, it's a retention policy <laughs> that um, sometimes backfires. I think in the internet, in the internet age we live in now, um, I think this is why a lot of people have deconstructed their faith is because Pastor Bob is saying one thing, but I go on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and I can hear all kinds of people with all kinds of different perspectives on different ways to read the Bible, just different ways to think about this, you know, this, that, or the other. And all of a sudden I can think for myself or at least be exposed to other ideas and, and decide for myself, you know, that makes more sense than yeah. that. Maybe I'm going to change yeah, yeah. my ideas on that. It's yeah. funny how you use like that word and I hear it a lot. I can think for myself, yeah. but obviously Keith, when you were in the Southern Baptist bubble world, so like to put it one way where you could only listen to these preachers and read these texts, it's, I, I presume that when you're in that, you didn't think you weren't thinking for yourself, but then all of a sudden when you came across this other idea, you went, well, now there's more than one option. Mm. Maybe I, it's, a, it's funny, it's a sentence used in retrospect. I wasn't thinking for myself, mm -hmm. but when you're in the moment, it sounds as if like for 40 years, you're like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking for myself. Sure. No, of course. And, and see, I think the biggest, um, so that was the big, that was the first domino in my in my life right okay but soon after mm. that um you know you mentioned in the in the build-up you know at the beginning my bio at the beginning that we ended up leaving the pul i say you no know, i leave the pulpit i left the pulpit to start a church that gives 100 percent of the offering away to the poor in the community so when i did that and that was about two years after that big epiphany uh, or maybe a year a year maybe a year year and a half after that so very soon after that um was when we left and once we left uh, and started that house church that house church had no denominational ties. We weren't under the covering or the authority of any other church. We were, we were absolutely then free to do whatever, think whatever, believe whatever, read whatever book, listen to whatever, you know, and evaluate for ourselves. We had no concern or fear that we were going to lose funding or blessing or whatever. And that was probably the most, mm. one of the most freeing things for us because... You know, then all of a sudden, of course, many people would say that was the slippery slope, Keith. That's when you went off the deep end. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is very, like, interesting to highlight the fear that locks us into, like, a one world view. And that, and it's interesting to bring our podcast into this. Yeah. We get a lot of comments on, like, well, that's a dangerous idea. Like, you shouldn't talk about that or you shouldn't explore this. And, and Cam and, and my response is generally like, we don't fear ideas because yeah. I don't think idea, exploring ideas of themselves is to be feared. Yeah. Like, yeah. yes, ideas can be dangerous if they lead to yeah. harmful actions. Yeah. But me listening to an idea isn't inherently isn't dangerous. Inherently dangerous yeah. But it's interesting how the fear that you're talking about is what kind of keeps us from looking at the world and looking yeah. to the alternative ideas or concepts. Um, I want to explore then this, what followed from that change? What shifted you to then start like to, so you said you had this idea and then you left the pulpit 
of the church in two years, what did this domino knock over then? This idea of yeah, because you said that that was what the, the gospel first domino, is. but then there were others. So talk us through maybe a couple more of the other dominoes. Yeah. Yeah, so the second domino that was the one that propelled us really outside that church. So that first idea wasn't enough at all to make me leave that church. Um, so there was the second domino that really was the one that pushed us out. Um, and what that second domino was, was a, um, it was like a little 35, 40 page PDF I came across at the time by a guy named Ray Mayhew. The title of this little, it was just a little article basically. Um, and it was called mm-hmm. Embezzlement, the Corporate Sin of American Christianity, which has a killer title, right? But mm-hmm. um, punchy title, was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're on the show. Great. By the way, I will share that free with any of your listeners. I'll send you a link afterwards, and anybody who wants to download it for free, I've got a, a copy. You can download it for free. Um, so, so cool. that article, that article, all it really did was start with the book of with Acts, with the first century church, and go historically through the church history for the, like the next 300 years of church history and just documented um, how caring for the poor was at the DNA, the heart of what it meant to be a Christian, really for the first three or 400 years of church history. Right. You know, we, we see it in the, in the, in the scriptures, right? right? Um, they, they gathered all their, uh, laid all the offering at the apostles' feet, not for big screen TVs, not for pastor salaries, not for renting a building, not mm. for a killer sound system. Nope for caring for the poor and the orphan and the, and the widow among them. And that goes all through church history. Um, and so again, we were already doing ministry to the poor at this church and we are, we really got a heartbeat for that. And it was after I read that article, my wife and I read that article and it just started really getting our, the wheels turning about what if we started a church like that? What if we started a church like a full on your new Testament style church where all the offering went to care for the needs of the poor in the community. And we didn't keep a dime, not a penny for ourselves. Mm. And so we prayed about that and felt like that honestly was what God was asking us to do. And so we left that church and uh, started meeting in houses and homes. Um, People came with us Mm. and, you know, found us sort of word of mouth. We did that for like 11 years. Uh, Started started a church um, in the back parking lot of a motel where families in poverty were living. Uh, in Santa Ana, California, provided free groceries and, you know, helped people pay their bills and uh, just really did, God did some amazing things through that. And so that second domino was the one that sort of got us outside the church. And once we were outside the church and we started this house church community, then suddenly many other possibilities became available. Many other ideas were sort of back on the table as far as like, let's, let's reconsider some of these things. Mm. That, that's an interesting trajectory from the gospel isn't just about escaping yeah. earth. And so therefore, if the gospel is about following Jesus right now, then the ne- it is the next obvious domino is then, well, if I go to church every time and I'm, I'm putting my tithes into this or I'm supporting this, well, mm. what did Jesus do? Then I mm. will go look after the poor. Like, d- is that what happened? accepting the idea that the gospel which wasn't, wasn't just about exclusively getting to heaven, did that make this idea of following Jesus far more tangible, like the kingdom being here on earth now, and it opened your eyes to what was in front of you every day you lived? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, those two things were sort of the one-two punch. It was sort of like, oh, it's about following Jesus in my actual life. And then, so the next question is, well, what does that look like? 
And then the next obvious thing was, well, the things that we've sort of already been doing, which is, but let's do more of that, where we really are focused on caring for the needs of people, like tangibly demonstrating the love of Jesus to people around us. So it's not just Jesus loves you. Uh, it's it's like, I'm not even going to say it. I'm just going to show you. I'm going to I'm going to be it. I'm going to. So in mm. other words, this is it, it's a verb. I need yeah. to act this out. I need to demonstrate that Jesus loves you and, and not just say it. But in fact, not even say it. I'm just going to feed. I'm going to give you groceries. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to give you a ride to, you know, whatever, you know, you need a ride to the doctor's office, whatever. Like it was a tangible expression of that love of Christ. Um, like I, one of the things that we yeah. sort of started figuring out as we moved in more and more into that direction was like, for many people, um, the gospel was a sandwich or the gospel was, you know, groceries for the month. Like that was the gospel to them because it was a tangible expression, tangible proof that God loved them. And it was being expressed through these meeting, these actual needs, right. That they had. Um, and so, yeah, that, that really was a major yeah, that sort of leads to the what I want to sort of explore a bit now is like what you're actually, what does your community look like week to week? Like how does, what are the mechanics of it? Like are there... Practically. Yeah, like practically. Is there like a group of people that go out and do this to another group of people or is it all integrated? Like talk to us about that. Right. So I will, I'll explain that. That's a great question. But I, I should also make sure that uh, we place it in, in context so um, that church community that we started and that, that was active for 11 years and did all these things, um, my wife and I have moved away. We don't live there anymore. So we're now in El Paso, Texas. We've only been okay. here for a few months. We're hoping to start something just like that here in El Paso, but we don't have something active right mm. now here doing something similar. Um, yeah. But I'll tell you what it yeah, looked cool. like when we were doing it for 11 years. Um, so mm. good, good question that it's... Um, I think early on, it was probably the first couple of years, it was very much sort of, you know, uh, the church when we got together looked one way. It was just, we, we gathered together. We, it's very simple, very Jesus-centric, very Jesus-focused uh, meetings that we had together when we had a meeting, like on a Sunday or a Thursday or whatever. Um, but then on mm -hmm. a Saturday or uh, maybe during the week, that then it would be like, well, we're going to go and take groceries to the families in the motel, or we're going to go and serve the homeless down by the river and things like that. But very quickly, what was started happening was the people that we were ministering to who were living in the motel or things like that, um, they were homeless. Uh, they would ask, could we come to church with you? Which I think is a huge, important thing. Like you, I think if you're going to enter into something like this, you need to be, you need to recognize and be open to the idea uh, that you can't hold people at arm's length if you're going to express the love of Christ to them. You can't say, you know, do it. I call it drive-by. Sure. You can't do a drive-by, you know, ministry. Like <laughs> throw down the window, toss out the Just blessing, see you later. Window. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, so it had to be like, no, you're welcome in my house. Your kids can play with my kids. Um, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna spend wow. time in each other's home together and really share life together. And so that was a very beautiful part of what we were doing. Um, and so, mm. and then the, the, as it went on, I would say probably the last three or four years we were together, it was just the most beautiful thing imaginable. I miss it so much. Um, it was very spontaneous. Um, it was definitely not just, well, we meet on Sundays or we meet on Wednesdays. It was 
just literally like, hey, what are you guys doing? Let's go do something together. And we'd go to the park and play with Frisbee or we'd like go have dinner together or we'd go to the park or whatever. We were just spontaneously, we love being together. And sometimes those things were fellowship and sometimes those things were sort of ministry. Uh, but some, but sometimes they were a little of both mm. and, and there was never any sort of hard line between them. Um, and that was just, it's, I yeah. always say it's the best thing I ever did with the word church on it. It was just the most amazing thing. And that's why now my wife and I are so excited about, we want to start something like that here in El Paso because we just miss it so much. Mm. Yeah. This, this sounds like a very, like following the gateway drug idea that, kind of led you out of the Southern Baptist way of doing church. It sounds so obvious, yet in certain contexts, very radical. Like that like often within yeah. formalized well, yeah, churches. Even within society, like we, that's radical. Well like, even, yeah, like you're told don't hang out with those people, they'll yeah. lead you astray. Don't yeah. listen to those people, they'll yeah. lead you astray. It's this protective mechanism. Yeah. But Going then back it, to that fear yep. that we were the, talking the, about before, yeah. That's right, the fear mechanism. But then it's amazing how it's weird how it seems radical when it's obvious to, oh, you know those uh, poor people that have been struggling, we're just going to actually hang out with them. Yeah. And not in a tokenistic way, but yeah. in a very, like you said, your kids can play with our kids. Like yeah. Now that is a true step of inclusion. Yeah. Because... Like to, we protect our children like as much as possible, mm. and to mm. have that openness and inclusion to say, "Yeah, come on in," it sounds both radical and obvious at at just the exact same time to me. Yeah, you know, it's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, I I, I gotta say, I mean, I I benefited a lot at the time. I had some really great mentors uh, along those lines at the time, uh, who were all way ahead of me down the road on this kind of thing. Who really helped me. I think to avoid a lot of things that probably we would have fallen into mistakes we would have made. We, you know, um, like one of the things I learned was um, another little phrase I, I learned from one of my friends was, you know, don't, don't pet the poor. And um, I was like, Oh man, yeah. that's so good. <laughs> wow. Cause, yeah. Cause yeah. you can do that. That's right? very you, good. You can sort of approach it. Yeah. You approach it from this position of I'm, I'm the rich person or the middle-class person. I have a job. Yeah. I have money in the bank. I have a car. Maybe I have two or three cars and, you know, and all these things. And, oh, you poor, poor person. Let me come to you. Here's a sandwich. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're poor. Oh, okay. I'll be back. See you next week, you know, and bye-bye. And we can do that. And it's so condescending uh, and, and painful. The other thing that mm. helped me, I think, too, to avoid some of that as well, was Wendy and I, my wife, Wendy and I, um, prior to this, prior to leaving and starting the church, um, I was out of work for like a year, oh, a year and a half. And mm -hmm. um, so we were very close to poverty. Like uh, we were hanging on, like uh, God was like providing us for us miraculously. And um, so we went, you know, we went for a year and a half experiencing some of that poverty, right? We, we understood what it like, what it, what it felt like. And I think that also helped us mm. so that, so for example, like I, I remember getting in my car and driving to a food bank and getting out of my car and, you know, signing my name and being told, you know, here's a bag and you can take four things from that shelf and three things from this shelf. And, and that was just to feed my kids. And that was an incredibly humiliating, mm. humbling experience, right? But it was like, I have to do this. Mm to take care of my family. And when you experience that kind of thing, what you recognize is that it's really 
in the dynamic of washing someone's feet, right? Jesus gives us this example of washing feet. In that dynamic of washing feet, it is so much more painful and difficult to be the person whose feet are being washed because you have to admit that their feet are dirty and you got to let this other person do this to you. And it's really, it's, it's painful. But if you understand it, like if you've been through it, then you can do it in a way that still honors that person that looks them in the eye and and gives them dignity and humanity. And actually says, you know why I'm doing this? Because a few years ago I was right where you are. I know exactly what this feels like. I know how hard this is. I know it's hard Mm. to ask for help. I know it's hard to ask for money. I know it's hard to ask Mm. for groceries. Um, I know it sucks, man, Mm. but you know, we're going to, we want to bless you. you. So, you know, that, that becomes much more real. Um, And when I've tried to coach people who people have come to me, you know, over the years, like, Oh, we heard what you're doing with the motel. We heard what you're doing with the homeless. Well, we want to do this too. Like that's always part of what I try to do is to help people understand that dynamic because otherwise you end up doing more damage mm. than you know you're doing you think you're helping but you're actually you're doing it yeah. in a way that hurt it's hurting people so you know i think we have to be careful yeah. even how we do those things mm. and uh, we don't build communities there and i wonder if it's like you're highlighting what i'm hearing is is a lack of having experienced a lack of having been in that situation like me i've never been in that situation so i can only just try and imagine and if if churches and the communities that say follow jesus or say they follow jesus uh it end up having I guess some level of like an area where us, you know, middle-class people gather with our very similar experiences. Mm. And then we come and visit the, those poor people like a petting zoo, like you're kind of saying, you just pet the poor and then you return to that middle-class safety safety bubble and go, wow, that was good. Like we did good. And, and once again, I'm not, it, you know, it can be easy to vilify those people, but I'm wondering if I'm pulling out like a lack of ever having experienced it. And because the current traditional churches, communities are not built there, the communities are separate to that. So then that very way in which the church is built there, it doesn't enable the experience necessary to understand that way of life enough to truly help it. Which is what I want to ask next. It's like, because we've... Like Keith's mentioned a heap of times, like community. Mm. That's like been a really like very practical word. community. Yeah, and so I want to know from you, Keith, what like because you've, you've spoken about Wendy, your wife, um, being a part of this with you. So like when these dominoes started falling, what did that look like? Were you like were your family on board with you? Did you lose friendships? Like talk to us about yeah. that sort of side of it as well. Yeah. Well, I will say I've been very, very blessed in that um, all the different uh, paradigm shifts, theological or otherwise, that I've gone through over the last last 13 years or so, um, my wife, Wendy, has been right there with me. Uh, and it's been beautiful because I've met cool. families and couples where that isn't true, or maybe the husband is having some big uh, epiphany experience and, and, and uh, revolutionary ideas, and the, and the wife is like, no, not really or vice versa. And then that becomes a strain in the marriage and the relationship. So, um, mm. so I'm blessed in that. Like Wendy and I, and I have always been on the same page. Um, 
But, and yeah, we've always also worked to always bring our, our, our family, our boy, I have two boys uh, along with us for all those things as well. Um, but, but uh, yes, we did lose relationships uh, like that church we were a part of that we were, that we had helped to plant when I, when we left that church, um, we did everything we could to leave. Like we wanted to be a blessing to them, but they, they flat out said, we will not bless mm. you. Um, so we're like, well, okay, that's fine. Mm, we're going right. to bless you. <laughs> and we're going to do everything. Like that verse, it mm. says, um, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. We took that very seriously. So um, it was yeah. painful. I mean, we had people. Is that because left. of theological grounds? Well, it's interesting because they see at first, um, at first we, my, Wendy and I were feeling called to leave and plant a church. And that's all we really knew at, the, at, at first. We just felt like God was saying we should start a church. And we were like, we were praying about that. And we didn't know at the time what it was going to be, like what it would look like. And when I went to our pastors and our friends there at that church, we had planted, um, we'd helped them plant. Uh, they were they were all in favor. Oh, because we all thought it was going to be another vineyard church, just like that. Oh, the Keith, great right. idea. Oh, you guys would be great. They were super supportive. They were just so encouraging. It was great. And a couple of weeks later, as Wendy and I continued to pray about it, then we sort of felt like God was saying, this church should be one that gives everything away to the poor and doesn't keep anything for itself and all that. So that vision was like so exciting to us. Like, oh, yes, this is it. Mm. This is exactly what we feel like God is calling. Well, when I communicated that part of it, that's when they kind of decided no, no, no. And did all they could to talk us out of it. I mean, I had to endure two or three, you know, several hours long meetings where they tried to talk us out of it. Um, like one of the guys. What would they be up, saying in those meetings? Well, so one of the one of the last meetings we had, um, the, the worship pastor, it was it was the, the, the senior pastor and the worship pastor and myself. And uh, and the worship pastor was saying to me, Keith. Um, because you know what I'm describing is a church that's only going to meet in living rooms. It's going to be limited to like 15, 20 people at the max, right? Yeah. Like Keith, he yeah. goes, Keith, why would you throw your gift away? You could be pastoring a church of 200, 500, 1,000 people, you know, and why would you limit it to right. like 12 or 15 people in your living room like that? And 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 this was the answer I gave him. And I think it was like, the, I want to say it's the Holy Spirit because it just kind of came as, as uh, out of my mouth. When he said that, I said, mm. you know, Brother, um, I hear what you're saying, but I, but I need to tell you this: if if ten years from now I'm in a church of a thousand people, failure, because that is not what God is calling me to do. But fifteen or ten, uh, 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 ten years from now, if I'm in a church with with the same fifteen people, but we're caring for the poor and we're doing the things He's calling us to do, success. Because that is what he's calling me to do. And I have to do this. I, I can't explain it to you. I can't convince you. Mm. But all I can tell you is, if I know anything, I know we are supposed to do this. So it was really just, you know, I guess sort of we had different definitions for success. Success for them was I was supposed to be in a church of a thousand people. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't as much a theological disagreement, you believe this about the gospel, than we believe this about the gospel. It's almost like... A, a disagreement on the on what a church yeah, should be or of, look like of church, yeah. Yes. But it's also <clears throat> because it's interesting that you've taken a big step away from what seems, from where I sit, to be a very capital capitalist driven 
church metric, which is like yeah. more numbers, yeah. more like growth. Up growth to the left. That, that's right. Is that yeah. the left or right? <laughs> <laughs> like that. That's right. And you like, and is that what you see in a lot of mainline churches now? That that drive for. Yes. Because I guess the argument goes, if you reach more people, we save more people. Yeah. We do it with bigger venues, better music, yeah. smoke machines and skinny jeans. Yeah. And you're, you're kind of saying that... What, what that do you would think, be a failure. And what do you think the yeah. advantage or disadvantage of the two models are? Um, oh, man, that is a great question. Um, so you're right. That's exactly, <laughs> that is exactly what the disconnect was. It was that we fundamentally had different definitions for church, different visions for what church should look like, right? And and yes, that mm. model, which by the way, was the model I was raised in, grew up in, I didn't think there was any other kind of model except that kind of model. It's very much a business mm. model. It's a, you're planting a franchise, right? And the goal of the franchise is to mm. grow the franchise. And, um, but again, Jesus never, the early church didn't think of their, themselves as a business. Um, it, it is very capitalistic. Mm way of looking at it and so by taking money out of it by taking you know we didn't like our little house church we just had a basket in the back of the room we didn't have a bank account i didn't have a 501c3 account we weren't not we didn't have any tax exempt status it was not anything it wasn't did not mm. in any way resemble a business it was just a bunch of people that love jesus that threw their their money in the basket and used it to buy groceries for people right um it was, so it was very mm. very simple and basic and honestly to my mind, um, much closer to what I see when I read the book of Acts. And yet my friend mm -hmm. uh, literally said to me, when I told him that we were gonna start this, when he told us he wasn't gonna bless us, he said, Keith, I can't support you because I can't find what you're doing in the scriptures. And I literally laughed out loud. I, I didn't mean to be rude, I just couldn't <laughs> help myself. I just laughed and I said, really? Show me what you're doing in the Bible where they have a building and you yeah. I mean, this is the thing. Once yeah. you start looking into it, I didn't ever notice this until I left right, and started doing this, this I mean, experiencing it this way. Well, then all of a sudden I go back and read the New Testament. I realize, where's all the senior pastors? Like all these letters that are that mm. Paul writes aren't to the senior pastor of the church in Corinth. No, it's to the church. He writes the letters to the entire yeah. body. Every letter is not to the pastor. Yeah. Who is the pastor? Why doesn't he? Like in the, Corinth is a great example. Mm. The church in Corinth had so many problems. Oh my gosh, sexual immorality and all kinds of arguments and things going on. And it was a mess. And Paul doesn't write the letter and go, dear pastor, you know, ding dong, fix it. What are you doing? No. <laughs> yeah. why? You know why? Because there wasn't one. There is no senior yeah. pastor right. model in the early church. It's not, that's not the way it worked. The way it, yeah. if you were curious about how it works, read 1 yeah. Corinthians 12. The, the head is Christ, and the rest of us are members of the body who have gifts that, is, that the Spirit gives, and, and we're using them to bless one another. It's a very very symbiotic kind of a thing mm. where we are each blessing one another and being blessed by one another. It's like a, that's why we get the, the mm. concept of being a body of Christ. Paul would look at our churches today yeah. and go, this isn't a body. Or if it is, it, it's got the wrong yeah. head. <laughs> Where? Why is it Christ the head of this, right? Instead of Pastor Bob. So yeah. uh, anyway, yeah, that, yeah, that became the big uh, disagreement and shift. And then, of course, in practice, what we were doing was didn't look at all like what was happening. So I'm sorry, let me ask you to answer the second part of your question. Because yeah, it's a really good, a really important question. 
the assumption is uh, a mega church of 2,000, 3,000 people can accomplish more than a little old house church, right? Well, if, right. if you're comparing yeah. my little house church, of, you know, 15 people to Saddleback Church, let's say of like, I don't know how many, 10,000 people, then yeah, you're right. They, got, they have a wow. bigger bank account. They have more people. They have more resources. And mm. yeah, that's right. However, and by the way, there's been all kinds of studies done on this. Um, there's a book called Natural Church Development that was published, I think, right about the year I, I left to do house church that backed up all this research that backed up this, what I'm about to tell you. Uh, all the research backs up that um, churches stop becoming uh, effective once they hit around 100 people. Maybe it's 200, but it's between 100 and 200 people. In other words, their yeah, effectiveness right. sort of caps out. And then when they become a church of 500, effectiveness measured how they're no no more effective in in, as far as baptisms, um, leading people to Christ, any of those planting churches, any of that. In other words, a church of a hundred accomplishes the same as a church of a thousand practically because they don't, they reach a stagnation point where it becomes so big. All the resources they have are primarily used. Probably more than half of those resources are used to keep it alive. It costs millions of dollars to yeah. rent that oh. building or to keep the, le- the lights on or to, to hire the gardener and to get the security guard. And like, uh. you know what I mean? It, because it becomes so big, now it takes money to keep it alive. And so here's here's mm. what the, the research showed. If you took that same church, let's say of a thousand and broke them into several hundred churches of 12, they would be exponentially more effective in reaching their community, touching people's needs, uh, sharing the gospel, demonstrating all these things I'm talking about. So in other words, it's like, if yes, if you compare one little house church of 12 to a, a church of 1,000 or 5,000, but that's the wrong way to sure. think of it. Take that church, take yeah. that big church and break it into hundreds of churches that are smaller and they will be exponentially more effective. So in other words, the point is yeah. that smaller yeah. churches, what we need are more small churches that are, that are not tied yeah. to denominations, that aren't tied to buildings, that aren't tied to salaries. Like, like to start a normal church, like yeah. a quote unquote normal traditional church um, in California, when I, where I lived, and I'm not making this up. This was literally from the Baptist side of things. Um, oh, you want to start a church? Step one, get a million dollars. Come back when you have a million dollars. And then you need a, you need to hire a worship band. Easy. Small loan. Hire a Small loan out here. Right. Like it's, it's ridiculous. You, you know how much money it costs yeah. to start a house church? None. Not a dime. If anything, yeah. it generates money because everybody who comes puts money into the basket and then immediately we're, we're straight to ministry immediately. I don't need to wait until I built this thing mm-hmm. up, right? And, and build a building and get a sign, get a and website I, and like all that other crap. I don't need that. Pay all your insurances and everything. Yeah. I feel like yeah. you're also using words a little bit differently than like a mainline or mega church might be using it. Like when you're saying spread the gospel or you're saying um, like build, build community and reach people. Yeah. Yeah. Are you using it in the same way? Like I would say like a mega church, they have their metrics, right? Baptisms, professions of faith and bums on seats. What, I, what would you say the metrics are? Because you might be using the same language, like share the gospel. But are you saying share the gospel as in making people Christian like me? Yeah. Or are you saying it's like in a different way? Yeah. No, yeah, I think what, what we 
the experience that we had um, in our house church, the shift became, and I think it was just something we sort of recognized, we, we experienced it, that the emphasis was on discipleship. And again, that's what Jesus told us to do. Go and make disciples. What are disciples? Followers. Follow me. Remember, that's how you enter. That's what it's all about. Follow me. That's how you enter the kingdom and live in the mm. kingdom. But the definition of discipleship, again, in the old model that I came from was a top-down model. I've been a, I've been a Christian for you know, 30, 40 years. Oh, you, you've only, you're, you're a baby Christian. Come sit at my feet. Let me teach you and train you. And actually, we'll have a class on Wednesday nights. It'll mm. run for three months. And when you're done, you'll get a little you know, certificate with your name on it, boom, and you graduated. No, that is not discipleship. So discipleship, as we experienced Mm -hmm. it was, it doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian. I'm still a disciple. And it doesn't matter if you've only been a Christian for a few months or, or even if you're not a Christian yet, that's fine. But you're interested in knowing who Jesus is and you want to know more about him. How do I follow him? And how do I listen to him? And how do I, great, you're you're welcome. So in other words, we are all disciples Mm -hmm. who are being discipled by one another. It's not a top down. It's sort of a, in a circle. It's flat, right? Everybody disciples everybody else. I've been discipled by eight year old girls and twelve year old boys and ninety year old men, and and we all and I discipled them yeah. and they discipled me, right? So it's a shared discipleship, yeah. and it never you never graduate, you never end. You know, it's not like oh, I'm done. No, you're done when you die. <laughs> it, it's like discipleship. It's sounding more like a verb, like a way of living in community. Yes. Is that how you're yes. using it? Yes, yes. It's a way of living your life, right? In in community as well as huh. part of what we're doing in the community, that, uh, like we would always tell everybody when we invited them in was like one of the things we're doing is um, if you're someone who loves Jesus and you want to learn how to follow him in your daily life and you want to spend like three or four hours at a time with uh, in a room full of people who also love Jesus and also want to know how to follow him in their daily life and want to help each other do that, uh, then you're in. You're welcome. That's it. You know, there's no other bar mm. uh, for entry. Even if you just think hmm. you do, maybe you don't know. Hmm. Oh, all right, come check it out, right? Um, so, yeah, it's yeah. not about conversions. It's not about baptisms. Now, but we baptize people, and we definitely had people come and have sort of these uh, experiences and go, wow, I just feel like I know Jesus better than I ever have. Awesome. Um, and we did even plant other hmm. little house churches that came out of our out of our house church. But again, it was always in a very natural, organic way. We didn't, I, I mean, I didn't plan this. I didn't. I didn't graph that out. I didn't tell people go do this. It just happened. Like the spirit just, somebody goes, you know what? I, I'm going to invite this friend of mine and oh, we're going to baptize him in the swimming pool. Okay, great. Oh, you know, we're going to leave. We feel like God's calling us to leave. We're going to start a house church over here in our neighborhood. Great. You know what I mean? Like, and then once they left and did that, you know, the, the, those house churches became filled with people that didn't know my name. And I wasn't like the Pope of that. Seriously, mm-hmm. those people had no idea who I was. <laughs> I didn't plant that church. It wasn't me, right? So and we did that kind of thing yeah. happen a lot. Uh, and I think the more you kind of take yourself mm. out of the equation, it's not about you. It's not my church, right? Jesus says, I will build my church. So I want mm. him to build it. So it's his. I don't want to build it because then it would be mine. And I don't mm. want it. So uh, I want it to be something that really is mm. his. So anyway, it's, just a, it's a it's a radical. It is a radical shift. It's a it's a very it's a very compelling um, picture. Picture, yeah, like it's it's really compelling. But I want to know what you um, do. You feel like as you've told you've expressed a lot of like really good aspects to it, which like I say, it sound really compelling. But do you feel like you miss? Like, what do you say to mainline churches? Like. Do you feel that there's anything that you miss 
by not being in a mainline church. Yeah. Are you, yeah, are you missing out on anything? Am I missing out on something? Uh, you know, well, you can answer that. The you can you can you can tell us if you think they're missing out on something as well, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, no, yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, no, I mean, I don't miss it. Uh, I don't miss it. I, I have visited different churches, you know, since since being a part of the house church, and, and and that's fine. I mean, some of them I've been able, you know, have they haven't been so bad. But it's not something like I want to keep going back. Like I, I just can't go back. Now that I have experienced what I've experienced, like I can't go back to that old sort of a sermon and a song. It's like a TED talk with a rock concert at the beginning. You know, like I, I don't care about that. I'm not into that. Um, so, but I, but I would say what I feel like people might be missing if they're in traditional churches, um, what they're missing are things like these are the things I experienced, like koinonia. That's a Greek word that I, I know what it is. I would read about it. And I studied it and I said, we see it kind of expressed in the book of Acts, but I never experienced it until we were doing what we were doing at meeting in homes and gathering around Jesus. And we're having meetings with Jesus, not meetings about Jesus. Um, when we started serving people like that service aspect um, is huge. My gosh, there's so much. I The thing is, when you go into this place where you're serving people, especially you're living in poverty or people in need and things like that, you have that you, you think you're the one who's going to bless them with a sandwich or a bottle of water, whatever you're doing. But I promise you, you people, lives are going to be changed, but yours will be the one who will be the most changed. And, and that's the thing people don't get. They think, oh, I'm going to make a radical difference in this person's life. No, the spirit of God is going to make a radical difference in your life because you are in relationship with this guy or these people. Um, so that's one thing I think people are missing if they're not. Um, but I, I also need to say this. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to come across like condemning, like you're doing it the wrong way if you're not doing it the way I'm doing it. Cause frankly, a lot of people who are in traditional churches, like my parents, for example, they love it. They love that whole thing. And it, it, it feeds their soul and it's awesome to them. And they just can't wait to go back. And they have great friends there in their Sunday school, blah, blah, blah. So here's the thing. If for you, it isn't broken, then of course don't fix it. I just, all I can say is that I spent many years before we left to do this house church where there was sort of this itch that I could not scratch any other way. And just more and more and more being a part of that just wasn't doing it. And I just knew there was something else. And until we left and started this house church and started experiencing things in a different way, all of a sudden that was like, yes, this was it. And so if you don't have that kind of reaction listening to me talk right now, then stay where you are. <laughs> you know, like, it's not for you. That's fine. But but for some people, some people would hear this and go, man, I how do I get me some of that? And then I would tell you, let's talk because I, I want to help you either find one like that or start one like that. Because I, I think it's I think it's great. I want to link a few different dots that I may have yeah, picked up and yeah. let's see if they let's see if they can connect. It's <laughs> it's interesting to go back to the very first idea, mm. the gateway idea that leads to everything else that is the gospel isn't about just like this escaping. Yes. And the things that stop people from that breaking down that idea well, encountering that idea was stopped by these fear structures that say, yeah. don't listen to that person, don't read that author. Yeah. And essentially the fear structures say, 
don't connect with your fellow man. That is yeah. different to you. You can connect with us here, and yeah. that's a blessing in we're itself. Safe. And and yeah. and that's there's nothing wrong with that. Like yeah. it's great to have people who are like you because you feel understood. Yeah. But then there's this thing that's being missed, like you're missing out on. Like when Keith is talks to his friend who blew his mind saying, you know, that's not what the gospel's about. He's like, whoa, mm. Th- that connection with that human opened up a, like a whole other way of looking at things that, yeah. that led to everything else. And then to hear Keith talk about how serving is, you, he receives more of a blessing. Yeah. And I wonder if it's that like when you go out into service, you you connect with people you never normally would have connected with because your social circle doesn't include that. And so you actually actively have to go out and the blessing you get seems to be, the common thread seems to be, there is so much blessing to be found by connecting with those who are not like you, whether they are less well off than you, whether they have different ideas to you. Just connecting with humanity by the sound of it. That's right. Does that seem like a common thread that seems to run through all this? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think the way I would have expressed it at the time was sort of like, um, you don't really need a whole lot of faith to sit on your couch and watch, you know, um, <laughs> television, right? Um, but um, so yeah. like following Jesus is sort of this adventure where like everything, everything that's the blessing, you see, you mentioned like being a blessing, the blessing that you're seeking, the uh, the life, the the excitement, the joy, the you know, whatever it is you're seeking, it's just outside your comfort zone. You know, it's not mm-hmm. in your comfort zone. Right. You're never going to find it there. It's not going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. It's, uh, I would say yeah. it's got to be something where you kind of do take this sort of leap of faith or step of faith in a different direction. And try it's again, the other way I've heard it described is, you know, to experience something you've never experienced before, you probably have to do something you've never done before or try something you never tried before. Yeah. Right. You can't, you can't do the same yeah. thing expecting a different result. Um, so, mm. you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm dropping a lot of quotes here, uh, but, you know, it's, it's the truth, <laughs> right? Uh, there's another business quote yeah. that I, that I yeah. love because it applies in so many pl- ways. It says, um, uh, the system you currently have is perfectly designed to give you the results you're now receiving. So whatever mm. it is you're experiencing yeah. right now, yeah. guess what? Unless you change yeah. what you're doing and the way you're doing it, Something. keep expecting the same results. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Kind of it sounds yeah. obvious, but also not. Yeah. I wonder, like, if that's to answer, because, Cam, you asked the question, what, what do you think, like, you're missing out on by not participating in this modern, traditional way of churches? But I'm hearing also what potentially the mainline mega church or large gatherings of churches might be missing is because they're very designed for a comfort zone. Like some people yeah. might come into that space yeah. yes. and that space will be outside their comfort zone. And then exactly what you're saying, yeah. they're going to encounter something, probably yeah, a blessing because right. yeah. that's where it sits. And, but, and what Keith is saying is don't destroy that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like fine. people coming into that, yeah. that, that might also provide a blessing, but also, also if you grow up in it and it, you've always been there, you might be missing out on something because you're very comfortable there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and these systems are designed to, to kind of keep us comfortable. I, I, just a couple more questions. When you look sure. at mainstream mainline churches now, do you think that this escapist model gospel, like it's all about saying a prayer to get to heaven when you die, do you think that 
almost lends itself to a more capitalistic model because I, uh, it just dawned on me as you're describing the structure of like pastor, senior pastors, all these things. I'm thinking of a or, business. Or is it like... I'm thinking yeah, like CEO, CEO yeah. board member, like board members, CEO. Like but it, it could be the other way too. It could be like the capitalist system drives that Oh, well, like, church. Good, like, good point. Yeah. Do you see any connection between how the church is structured now and that, that, that belief that you deconstructed that led you on this journey? Well, I think the, um, the capitalistic system certainly reinforces those, those ways of thinking. How, I mean, but however, mm. um, I have seen sort of traditional model churches that's, that, that very openly preached this idea that the gospel is about following Jesus in your daily life, that it is about you know, being a disciple, that it's not about saying a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. And that's refreshing. And I'm, I celebrate that. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy when I encounter churches that, mm. that get, they understand that and they preach that and they, they, they walk that out. And their emphasis is on following Jesus in your, in your daily life. And some of them are even very, very involved in serving the poor and those kinds of things. So I think it's possible to break out of that misunderstanding of the gospel and still kind of stay in that traditional model of sort of the CEO pastor and uh-huh. the yeah. sermon and the song and all that. Sure, right. But I don't think it. I don't think that by itself is you know necessarily breaks that. Uh, it did for me. Okay. Just because like yep. the only way I, I could see because but I took it to an extreme where I really felt I just and it was my own personal conviction that the offering didn't belong to me. That the offering that we collect belongs mm. to the poor. That it belongs to the, the way we give it back to God huh. is to use it to bless the poor. Mm. By the way, uh, when you study church right. history, this blew my mind. I never knew this until I left to do the house church. Do you know the Christian church did not formerly um, institute tithing, the system of tithe, the tithe, until I think it was 400 Oh no, it was at 700. Might've been like 700 AD, like 700 years. Wow. And there was no tithe in the Christian church. Yeah. yeah. What? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was under Charlemagne. So if I'm, I'm not sure I'm getting the year right, but it was under, Char- it was under Charlemagne's rule. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that's another mind blower. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. So the church existed for hundreds of years with no tithing. Yes. Because tithing is an old covenant, mm. old Testament concept. Now it got brought back into the church and they use this Old ah. Testament scriptures to, to, to justify it. But the yeah. reason why is that right. that was around that time, because prior to that, so the first before up until Constantine, um, you know, people weren't being salaried. The people that served the church did so out of, you mm. know, because they felt called to do this. Constantine, when he shows up, he actually put some bishops and um, church leaders on the payroll, like on the Roman payroll, the same as senators and, and some of the political people. So, so the church, the church under, under Constantine and, and up until Charlemagne, uh, if you were leading leader of the church, the Roman government actually paid, you kept you going, paid for the building, right. built the building. Like, yeah. So it was sort of a very state sponsored. And it wasn't until Charlemagne where they kind of stopped doing that. Mm. And then it was sort of like, look, set up your own little kingdom, build your little castle, uh, go tax your peasants. Uh, we'll call it a tithe, and then um, we have an Old Testament justifi- justification for that. But it was very much built on really almost sort of like a build your own sort of a kingdom. You have your little castle, your your pastor, mm-hmm. your bishop, whatever's a little king. You tax your peasants, which are the people that come, 
and that's how you keep the upkeep. Mm. Um, anyway, so it's really yeah. fascinating. Like that whole idea of the tithe going to the church to upkeep the church and, the, and pay for the leaders is something that came in very, yeah. very late into the church. Yeah. Yeah, well, I yeah. am seeing that trend of like Constantine building the empire around the church and really yeah. making the church almost a centerpiece of the empire. Yeah. And then to correlate that now today, well, what's the centerpiece of our empire? Well, it's the corporation. Yeah. And so yeah. now we've got like a similar system. Yeah. It, it's almost like yeah. just transport that well, we, model. We have tax structures that favor the organizations of churches. Like that's, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. We just, we treat them in similar ways. It's Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'd be interested, and this is not something we often ask people, but I'd be interested to know um, from you, if you could tell the people who are finding this compelling, like what are the, th- what are the three things that they first need to do to create something like you created with that sort of church? Like, because it sounds to me, it's very grassroots. It's very like... You don't need a lot, but I want to know from you: Am I oversimplifying it, or is it is it as simple as what you're making it sound so far? Well, I think it is. If that is your intention, in other words, if this is what you start off wanting to do, I actually wrote a book about this because I I, I had never read a book that told me how to do it. I mean, frankly, I didn't. I just sort of fell into it, right? Kind of figured out as we as we go, mm. but. Um, I wish I could just say it was three things. The, the, the main thing in general, I would tell somebody who was like me, like if you were a pastor, you were, all your training is teaching you how for you to do all the talking, you to do all the teaching and preaching, you to run everything, you to be in charge of everything. And so that's your instinct and that's your background and training. So if that's, mm. you were like me and that's, that was the way, you, you know, you, your paradigm, um, then the number one rule of thumb is, um, it's a big long list of things not to do. Don't do any of those things. Okay. Don't do all, don't do all the teaching right. and preaching. Like I used to leave the room. Like we would when we got to the part of the of the, our gathering where we were going to um, what we call an open share time where everybody is free to share. Again, this is from First Corinthians twelve uh, and thirteen. Um, mm. We would say, um, you know, so now it's like the, the goal is for everybody to just share what they know of Christ and their own sort of like what God has been speaking to you during the week. But I would leave the room and I would not go back in the room until I heard them talking to each other. And then I would sit at the back of the room because what, because in the beginning, what would happen is anytime there was a Bible question, everyone would look at me and I would end And I'm sorry, I would answer the question. All right. So I had to learn how to not do that. And the only best way was just not be there. And then, then I had to stop answering all the Bible questions yeah. and then I had to not, not make an yeah. agenda for how it was going to go and not control the conversation, mm. not try to fill in the silences. Like it's, it was, it's a long list of things yeah. not to do. Um, and fortunately it's not three. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things. I wish I could do yeah. it easier, but I do yeah. have a yeah. book where I walk through. Um, it's called Jesus Unveiled. Yeah, cool. Um, Forsaking Church as we know it for Ecclesia as God intended. And um, and it also yeah, cool. is sort of a history because well, I started put that writing in the, show the book notes. soon after we started the house church and I finished the book right as we were wrapping it up at the end of the 11 years. So you kind of get to hear the whole story and the book sort of ends with wow, how yeah. all of that wrapped up at the end of the 11 years. Mm, okay. So just to but push it's, back it's on this a little bit. Oh, no, keep going. The whole second half of the book is very, very practical how to do it. Um, and, and a lot, it's even things like, you know, uh, pitfalls of organic church, uh, what's wrong with organic church, where I talk about all the problems and challenges and, you know, like it's not all roses. There's right. a lot of things that you need to watch out for and be careful of. 
um, yeah. and things like that. So it's yeah. very, very practical stuff. Yeah, cool. So as, as I try and inhabit what people might be thinking as they listen to this, like yeah. the, the dangers of it or... The, the Southern Baptists who are the, listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they might say... <laughs> that's right. They might say something like, well, that wouldn't that lead to just bad theology if you're yeah. the pastor and you're not going to guide these people about what the Bible actually means and you're just, just allowing people yeah. to interpret how yeah. they want? Yeah. Isn't that dangerous and people are going to come up with like bad ideas about what Jesus meant and things like that? Yeah. Well, it kind of goes back a little bit to what we were saying a second ago about ideas, right? Like, are we afraid of other perspectives? So, again, nobody, including uh, mm. me, that was like, this is one of the ground rules. Nobody, including probably especially me, is allowed to, to sort of like advance an agenda or like get everybody else to agree with them on anything. That's not the goal. So if you right. have a certain perspective on something in scripture, like the way everybody was encouraged to share is to say, well, I, I, I see it this way. Or, you know, it's sort of like a, the posture is like, I could be wrong, but I think I see it this way. And then you're free to say whatever you think. And then somebody else can go, mm. yeah, I don't see it that way. I typically see it this other way. And, um, mm -hmm. and so actually the, what ended up happening was um, nobody steered or controlled thinking or, or the conversation. Everyone is free to listen to each other, mm. share different ideas, and everyone's free to make up their own mind. And we don't, we don't act like, well, mm. we can't leave the room until we decide who's right and who's wrong. That's not my job. Uh, right, you know, yeah. the Holy Spirit gives you discernment. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, again, we're not afraid of the of whatever. Here's the thing. Again, um, that we kind of this is sort of our mantra that we kind of we sort of learned over the years in our house church that everybody is in process. So there are things that I believe today mm -hmm. spiritually that I didn't believe five years ago. In other words, I've thought, I've changed my mind, I've read, I've studied, I've considered, I've reconsidered. I've got, you know, I don't believe that anymore. I believe this. Well, guess what? Five years from now, I might change my mind about this and I'll believe something else. So all of us, we recognized everyone who came to our house church, we were all at different points in the curve. Uh, maybe some of us are ahead of on the curve or behind the curve, and, and that was okay. We didn't need to all be on agreement mm. on the same theology. Because again, mm. this is a big, big right. mistake I think churches, Christians have made um, probably all over. Christianity lately has become defined by we have to all have agreement because we all, because Christianity is defined mm -hmm. by, do you have the right information about God? You can't be wrong about right. what you believe about God. Cause if you're wrong, you have the wrong information. Now you're a heretic yeah. or a false teacher or this you're dangerous. Yeah. Or no, you're going to hell. Not, yeah, yeah. That is not what Christianity is. The gospel is about Christianity is about transformation, which is about your connection with mm -hmm. God, with Christ, right? And how that your relationship with him is changing you and transforming you. And as if that's happening, the different things I believe about this or that or the other are going to change and come and go. And that's okay. If you're ahead of me on a couple of things yeah. and I'm behind you, it's okay. You know what I mean? Like we don't have mm. to agree. Unity is not based on agreement. According to Galatians, what Paul says is we are all one in Christ Jesus. Right? He says in Galatians, when the church comes together, there is no more slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female. All those distinctions go away. Our unity is in, not in our doctrines, not in our agreement, not in our ideas. On those things, we are different. We have different. And look, mm. sorry, I got to say this, with this uh, on this topic. No, I yeah, no, it. it's good. <laughs> we, are, 
we're fooling ourselves. In the traditional like denomination, when I was a Southern Baptist, even when I was in the vineyard, you have a statement of faith. And if someone joins the church, they have to agree with all these 10 things. Do you believe blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Maybe you join a new member's class and we teach you what you're supposed to believe about all these 10 things. And if you agree with all those things, ding, now you're in. But here's, so we that creates this false uh, sense of security. So we have this false assumption. Well, everybody who's here, we all agree on those 10 things. No, you don't. Yeah, yeah. There are people that are there. <laughs> <laughs> they said they believed all 10 things, but there's maybe they believe eight things. They might read seven and a half things. Yeah. Right. Maybe they used to believe 10 things, yeah. but now they're not sure about numbers five and four. And so, but why are they still there? Yeah. Because their kids love the youth group because they love going to this. They want their kids to go to the yeah. Christian school attached to the thing. Or maybe I, I'm a, my wife is the church secretary. And if I, if I go, Hey pastor, mm. I don't believe these anymore. I'm going to get, my wife's going to get fired. Right. So <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. You're oh, yourself right. and everybody has agreement. No, you don't. So let's just be honest. Mm. And let's just say, I love you mm. and you're my brother or my yeah. sister in Christ because you, because of Christ. We're, we're one in Christ. That's what brings us unity. And I don't care if mm. you don't, you, you know, is it, you believe that Jesus is coming back tomorrow or a hundred years, or is there a, a tribulation in the middle? Or do we sprinkle or do we dunk? Or, you know, is hell eternal or is it annihilation? I don't care. Believe whatever you want about those yeah. things. Why, does I, why do I care about those things? Yeah. As long as you know Christ yeah. and you love him and you're following him in your daily life and we're helping each other to follow him in our daily life because we love each other and care about each other, why should I care about all these other things? Mm. Well, yeah. I think that that is a lot to sit with and digest. Yeah. So, <laughs> Keith, thanks for... I mean, we've been on quite like the ideas path and yeah. I think it's, it's definitely going to be interesting for people to listen to and go through. So thanks yeah. so much for sharing like... A, a lot of your journey with yeah. us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. For the, love the chance to talk about these things. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, I disagree so much <laughs> and I'm so anti this, then great. Yeah. Because well that, done for making it this far. That, I mean, <laughs> awesome because we, listening to things you might agree with is kind of boring sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And so we've definitely been given some ideas. So whether you agree or disagree yeah. with Keith and what he's talking about. Yeah. Not the point. Doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter. Yeah. Hopefully you have some idea of what what began Keith's journey, his yeah. background, what led him to these ideas. Yeah. I think he's out, outlined very clearly how these ideas help him. Yeah, that's the important thing. Yeah. And sit with it, everybody, and yeah. digest it. Yeah. And if you have any questions, you can send us an email on ideasdigest.gmail.com. Connect with us on Instagram. Check out Keith's Ideas book. Digest. Yeah. If you want to connect with any of the ideas Keith has been talking about, he's mm. got quite a prolific author <laughs> he's got quite the list of books he did um, do an english major so that's not surprising that's right is there anything yeah. that you might want to say add or sum up or point people in the direction to learn more about what you're doing yeah um uh, well yeah i mean i blog I, my, it's just my name keithgiles.com k-e-i-t-h-g-i-l-e-s.com that's my blog on pathios um yeah my books uh my four books so far in the jesus un series the fifth one will hopefully is coming out next month um Jesus Unexpected. That's about the end times and dispensationalism and all that. And um, yeah, I, uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, pretty active over there and connect with you there. I teach some online classes. I have a course for people who are deconstructing their spiritual faith and want help moving through that into reconstructing their Christian faith. And that's called Square One. Um, that course is starting, I'm not sure mm. when this is going to go live, but this, that course is starting June 29th. It's a 90 day program. Um, 
anyway, yeah, there's a lot of ways to connect and I'm happy to connect with anybody. And I will send you the link for that free PDF. If you know, almost to download that, check it out. Yeah, Fantastic. that's cool. Fantastic. Yeah. So thanks everybody yeah. for listening. Once again, if you have enjoyed the show, then you better jump on Apple Podcasts and give yeah. us a review. Yeah. And if you're one of those slow burn people we talk to at the top of the show, that's yeah. like, well, listen, didn't like it at first, but yeah. no, it's warming up. Yeah, yeah. Then maybe share it with share one it or with two people else. and say, come yeah. on, mate, stick with it. It'll, yeah. it'll get better, I promise. <laughs> thanks for listening and we will catch you in the next episode. Yeah.